if it's going to impact your people, share that, get their input, put it out there. You might get a reaction earlier. It might save you some time, but be transparent and communicate. That's, that was the most important thing. Hey, fellow marketers, welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast presented by the marketinghelp.co. Our guest today has such an amazing background and story on his marketing career path from an image designer to a CEO of a leading marketing technology agency. But, but before we get into that, uh, a quick reminder that if you're struggling with preparing for your next job, preparing for that interview, um, struggling with getting promoted or developing the skills of your marketing team, listen, sometimes it's easiest to just get guidance from a marketing mentor, someone who's been there before and can offer relevant advice, timely advice, and also hold you accountable. So the Marketing Help is actually offering a 30-day trial where you can access our marketing mentors via chat and weekly office hours for just $1. So you do not need to navigate your marketing career moments alone. You can get all the help you need right now for just a buck. So go to themarketinghelp.co forward slash plus, enter the promo code on that page, unlock your access to mentorship support today. All right, the intro clip was our guest, Dave Snedder. Now, Dave, he's got an amazing background through agency roles, a few of which we actually were, were co-workers together. So uh, those roles uh, eventually led him to his current position as CEO of the agency SmartAcre. Now, Dave's entry point into marketing uh, came on the, on the design side, but he leveraged his knowledge on how to create digital assets and how they were produced, coupled with his superpower of developing relationships uh, to become an amazing project manager. And then the project manager, he then became an account executive. And Dave shares some amazing stories on how those roles, particularly, plus some unforeseen events, prepared him to be the CEO of SmartAcre. Now, the intro clip was actually Dave's philosophy and playbook on how to be a great manager of marketers. And he goes into much more detail on the value of that. Uh, And he's got tons more insights on his marketing career journey from how to get the attention of hiring managers to the three topics that any CEO will talk to you about. Great stuff. So let's go. Here's my discussion with the CEO at the leading marketing technology agency, SmartAcre, Dave Snyder. By Dave Snyder. Dave is the CEO of SmartAcre, a B2B marketing technology agency. Dave, real quick, just give us an uh, overview on what SmartAcre is, what they do, and who they do it for. Great. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, SmartAcre Incorporated, we are a MarTech agency focused on helping B2B clients throughout the develop a solution throughout the customer journey. So that's helping them with auditing and implementing their tech stack, helping them with lean and demand generation and and helping them support with all different types of content which is obviously your website and video and all of those great things. Nice. I'm, I'm and we'll get into more of that uh after the break here. Uh and you're you're about how big in terms of team team members? Yeah, we're 25 right now. Nice. Okay, good. So excited to get in the conversation today. This is a Career Moments episode where, uh, you know, just sharing the background of a marketer, pulling out the learnings that our audience can 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 uh, benefit from in terms of the specific journey. And I want to spend some time going through your journey because uh, we were just talking about this, that you represent a path that we have not seen yet in uh, our guests here on the podcast. So I'm excited to go through here because... Uh, in your your agency path, uh, someone that started working for an agency and now currently are the CEO of an agency, I'm sure you've seen things around team development, revenue streams, um, you know, client support strategies, all those things that our audience can 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 benefit from. So, you know, digging in here, you finished with an undergrad degree 
in visual communications and specialized tech, which at the time I think was probably, yes, this is something that's coming. Um, then you get into an agency role. So, so walk us through that first step post-university. Uh, how did you get into deciding to work for that first agency? Um, so the decision was it was better than working at a hardware <laughs> store. <laughs> um, no, it, I mean, there was an opportunity for an internship posted at, at the college, uh, the, the the business school that I was at. And uh, someone told me, it was probably one of my professors that said, take any job that you can get. If it's emptying the trash, do it. Once you're in, it's up to you to apply your skills and and show them what you're worth. So that's what I did. Um, I wasn't, I, I actually was resizing images, um, like 1400 a day for a sports online sports catalog. Uh, that's what I got hired to do. Um, uh, but quickly, you know, really, uh, developed into a graphic designer and then I was teaching myself coding. So I was actually doing some of the coding in between things there. And then, um, you know, as I was winding out my my time, I spent six years there. So I went from intern, and this was in the late '90s to the early 2000s through the dot com boom. I spent six years there, and I actually moved quickly into project management because I had an opportunity to fill in for a project manager, and I got the 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 leaders of the company were like, "You're actually pretty good about holding a conversation and listening and understanding requirements and." Um, you know, building a project schedule out. And I think it was because I understood and had the technical expertise of doing the work, I could translate into managing the work. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that was like, that was step one. And yeah, that's how I got started. And, And, and it sounds like you had the opportunity of either going a path of being the designer or being the person to manage the design projects. And, if it wasn't for the feedback from those around you, it sounds like they they gave you kind of a nudge to say, hey, you know, let me ask you this. If they did not give you that sort of nudge, would you have found yourself in a, a PM role on your own accord? Or is is this something that was the catalyst to get you there? Um, It probably was the catalyst, but the other catalyst was it was bigger, bigger pay. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be, you know, quite honest. Sure. I, I was, I was motivated by money, and I wasn't getting paid a lot resizing images and being a graphic designer. Because I think the other thing too was, I was honest with myself. I realized, you know what? I was looking at some of the other art directors and graphic designers. I'm like, it's going to take me so long to hone my skills and be a really killer graphic designer. Um, and I, I just was like, I, I think this is a quicker path for me. You know, I was looking to to get, you know, getting married and having a house and all that stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bet on myself here a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'll share it. The first six months was the worst of my entire career. I failed so miserably because I was not trained in project management. I didn't understand the principles of a budget scope and time and everything that goes into it of managing a project, not just like working on it. And I thought, you know what, I'll just, I'll work inside a Microsoft project. It'll just, I'll just jam on to do's when they get checked off by the designer and developers and be great. So I, I failed pretty bad. Um, and it, it took me it took me a while. I, I then started to take certifications and classes and get more training, and you know I got better with it. You know, and so by the time I left that first agency, I was a I was a group project management lead. So I had four or five project managers underneath me, and I was leading up the team. Got it. Now that was at was that at Refinery? 
No, it was even way before that. I'm Rush? Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're still around. And, um, but yeah, I did, I did that. And why I left, and I'll share why I left, was I was hitting the ceiling. I, I was like, you know, it was a smaller agency. I, I felt that I needed to continue to evolve and, and grow my skill set into more of a, a, a bigger premier agency and, um, and money. Yeah, yeah. And we talk about it with 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 uh, our content about the the six factors, which are important for marketers to 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 prioritize when it comes to making that next move. And you just nailed, you know, the the salary was one. Uh, probably the challenge was the other because you probably could have done your job with your eyes closed at your first agency. Uh, so then you find refinery. And what what brought you to refinery? Because I'm imagining at this point you understood how agencies worked. Um, and then what drove you to your next stop at refinery? Yeah, it was probably two things. One, right off the bat was people. You know, mm-hmm. they had a pool of people. I think I was employee 75. They grew to 2X that, you know, in in the four years that I was there. And, and the clientele. Like, I wanted to work on, you know, brands that people recognized. And I knew they had, you know, the ability to do that. I, I'm trying to think. I don't even know how I freaking found that company. <laughs> like, I maybe I just searched it. Um but I knew quickly once I once I was there and settled in, it was it was the right place. Um, still one of the best places I've ever worked in my entire career. And and, I, and that's where we connected. Mm-hmm. And I can speak to you know people being a huge part of a culture, you know, top down, of course. And your role there evolved from you joined as a project manager and then ended up rising a couple ranks. Or or yeah. what was your path there inside of refinery? Yeah. So I was, so the way that we were positioned as a project manager, you were out there with the account team side by side, um, with the clients. And I just really, really enjoyed going out, visiting clients, being on site, um, getting to know the, the clients and building the relationship. I always say like, I'm a relationship guy. I'm not like an account guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even a, I'm not like a sales guy. I'm a relationship guy. Cause I think that's how you win. Uh, so I just really enjoyed being out there and I had the opportunity to, to slide up into eh, it's slide, maybe slide over, slide up a little bit into a, an account executive position um, to really start to, you know, lead, lead, lead accounts. And um, I think I left, I was like, you know, in a senior position, in, you know, in, in account management. So that was great. I, I, you, you mentioned something. It was like you kind of mastered it. I did. I kind of felt like I mastered project management. It was coming too easy to me. I was a PMP, and like my wife even said, she's like, "Why do you? You're good at this. Why do you want to stop?" I'm like, "Eh, it's not my DNA. Like, I'm ready for the next challenge." You know. And as I'll talk here more about my career, you'll see why I'm I'm never settling. Right. So after refinery, you end up going to GSI Commerce at the time. Uh, eventually eBay, then radio. So what was the role there? And again, what was the reason for, for moving to that next opportunity? Yeah. So I, so I talked about people and that's the one thing when I saw when after refinery got acquired and, you know, it it started to mass exodus, if you will, you know, a Mm. lot of people were leaving and the culture was changing and it was shifting, trying to be like the parent company. And it wasn't the company that I signed up to, to be. And that's just what it was. Mm-hmm. And I knew a lot of those people that I enjoyed working with moved on to, to GSI and eBay. And then so I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. Uh, I'll go there. But I was really worried from day one to switch because it was a bigger company and that just didn't fit my style. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to give it a chance. Um, and then but the one thing they had, too, was the big 
the big names. So I mm-hmm. got to work on the the biggest of biggest bo- big box, you know, retailers, and it, it did give me an opportunity to travel uh, more, which was was kind of cool. Um, until I realized I can't be traveling when I have. Little kids, right, little, right, little, little kids. right. So, uh, I was going to say, like the, the the time at GSI, you know, again, career wise, like you're saying, gr- great move up with brand names. Uh, but again, you're you're feeling uncomfortable, a little uncomfortable in terms of, you know, what you 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 found your sweet spot, or you felt like you knew what your sweet spot was. Um, so this sounds like a, almost like a, a pivotal position for you in your career that almost like stretched your boundaries in terms of comfort. At some level, uh, but it almost was like a, a stopping ground before you knew there was something else beyond that that you were maybe a better fit for or more aligned with who you were. What did you learn most in those two years or a couple of years at GSI? Yeah, it was the shortest shortest of I've ever been with a company. Less it was, I think it was just shy of two years. So I had ten years of experience going into the position. You know what I learned was I learned a lot about myself too. Like. Um, I, I realized when I wasn't at my best, it was because I wasn't caring mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't bought into what they were trying to do. And then when I was getting negative feedback from from clients, things that were out of my control of being working in a large corporation, to anybody that works in a large corporation can can know what I'm talking about. You know, just getting things done are hard. It takes time. It, it, it takes a lot of different people and Early on, I realized when I did something and someone told me, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. We have somebody that does that for you. I'm like, that makes no sense. Like, I can totally do this. Like, it'll take me no time. No, no, no. That's some other department. And those are the type of things where I just shook my head. I'm like, this is not right for me. This is just not right for me. Um, You know, so that that was unfortunate. But I'm glad I did because what I learned was I learned that bigger isn't better. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And at that point, you, know, you think about it, 10 years in, you get a couple years here. Now you have probably, I would assume clarity on, okay, now I can call my shot. Now I feel like I can be selective on the type of role I go for because you've amassed all this experience in, in roles, experienced account manager, project manager, you know, so you can get a little bit more selective. So then why, what made you choose the next role, uh, which it looks like for a smaller agency, but uh, account director? Yeah. So, you know, I had an opportunity to move into a director position now because I feel like I had enough chops to to kind of lead a team. And it was an interesting position where the, the, they were headquartered in Philly, just outside of Philadelphia. But they had uh, an interactive branch that they, they bought in Boston, Mass. So... Um, I was traveling. I had clients up in, in Boston. And I was like, I like the area. I know the area. I can go up there. And I was really brought in to really stabilize that business or that arm of the business to really understand like what's going on because they, they bought a company and then they started to lose lose employees quickly mm. because they're, the leadership of that company left. So he cashed out, left, yep. and then it was just left there to be like, ta-da, try to try to. <laughs> continue but so i i was really brought in to you know try to help that um and it was tough it it was really tough i think the one thing that i learned was well there's two there's a couple things i learned right the first thing is when you when you acquire a company just don't assume that the cultures are just going to immediately merge and and become one it's more likely going to be like a stepbrother stepsister type of relationship and you have to really nip the them versus us 
that team versus our team, Boston versus Philadelphia, like all of that. And they just never broke down. It was just always difficult. Um, so that was like the biggest thing that I've learned. So the, you know, mentally putting that in the back of my brain so that later and later down in smart acre land that I could apply some of those, those learnings. I think the other thing was just process, like the way that that company was doing process, the way that the other company, you know, the other arm was doing process was completely different. So I learned that you really got to make sure that your process is down first, because if you don't fix those problems, you're just going to scale the mess. Mm, I love it. Um, and just listening to you reflect on that position, it sounds like that was a great opportunity to get some of the more business acumen on, you know, how, how what things are necessary to actually structure a high performing agency. Uh, so you can start to see how all these positions are, are, are accruing uh, for your next stop, uh, which is at. Smartacre. So how did you get from that role, account director, which was for a couple of years, I guess, or? Yeah, a little over two years. And, yeah. and and why I decided to leave there was I was looking to move into partnership. Like I was feeling like I needed, you know, becoming a VP was my next move. And I wanted equity in a company because I'm putting in a lot of, you know, blood, sweat and tears in, into it. And I wanted to see, I wanted to see some of that. And, I, and that's what I was looking for. And that wasn't in the cards for me there. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't there. Um, I was ready to move and closer and put, go all in. And it just, it just wasn't there. So I, I needed to, to look for something. So I was like, all right, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look something a little bit closer to home, see if something exists. If not, I'm going to start my own thing. Nice. And I, I applied at a couple different agencies, um, all smaller, 25, 15, and the one that I chose was three guys and it wasn't the biggest salary and it probably wasn't the most glamorous. But, you know, when I applied, I applied for an AE position and I immediately said on the cover letter that I, I am more than this. Let me work for a year to show you what I can do, give you my um, insights and, and vision for how I think you can grow. And if that works, make me partner. So that's what we did. So I worked as a, my first year at SmartAcre, I was an employee. I took a $60,000 pay cut to go work there. Um, huge. And, you know, I just took to enough to live comfortably. And, and then I, um, I said, I, I think this is going to work out because the, the, the one thing that I was looking for was alignment in, of goals. In partnership, the most important thing is that as partners, you have to be all working off the same script. You all have to be aligned on the same goals. You don't have to agree how you get there tactfully or, you know, just uh, even have difference of opinion. That's fine. You should have that. That will keep balance of, of, of the team. Right. But, um, yeah, they made me partner. Um, it was just sweat equity, you know, because there was nothing, the, the business really wasn't valued anything at that point. They were all just making enough to pay themselves and do the work. And uh, so they made me, made me partner in my second year. And then from there, the growth started to follow in terms of going from three people to then, you know, what was the growth rate after that in terms of, you know, call it, you know, clients and, and team members? Yeah. So we, we had a, so our, our first after me was an intern. We're like, oh, can we afford an intern? <laughs> So we found the, the smartest intern that we could find, and then um, they, they turned full-time and then hired a, a, an art director, creative director. You know, at the time, we were, they were really still focused on 
the strength of the business was interactive. Uh, but I was like, it's it's got to change. Like in order to scale this, we have to be more than just another web shop. And that's really what we were. And so I said marketing automation. So I, I, I was starting to get into marketing automation at my previous role. Things with Pardot and HubSpot was just really there. Like HubSpot was garbage in the beginning. Sorry, HubSpot, if you're listening to this, but you know what I'm talking about. Like in the beginning, it was garbage. Uh, but they rewrote the platform. And that's when it really changed. And um, so we, then we bolted on HubSpot and then Marketo. Uh, and that really started to unlock some things for us because we, we switched from being... We're, we're an interactive, even a digital agency to becoming a MarTech agency. So we're going to come in and fix your, your marketing operations, your technology. And then once you're fixed, um, start to apply and run campaigns. So, you know, the first couple, probably like two, three years after that, we were around six or seven people, um, you know, just hiring and, and betting on ourselves. Um, but I, I will say from a business side, still making sure that we're profitable. Right. Year one. When we did that, we made $9,000 in profit, 9,000 bucks in profit. Yeah. My cut at the time, you know, like, <laughs> you know, enough to, you know, well, what it would be to fill up, fill up my tank of gas today, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, right. but y- you still have to plan for that. You still want to be profitable even in the beginning. Cause then if you start thinking that way, you can only scale it, you know? And, and, you know, then, then we just, you know, kept adding on. And the growth of the company, or I should say the growth of your role in the company became, you know, obviously you proved yourself. So I love the cover letter. And quite frankly, I think if anyone's listening and you're trying to stand out, uh, go there, right? Like Dave is saying, go there and make the promise in terms of what you bring to the table. Because you were shooting, you know, just to get in with this company that had that goal of equity and you're willing to take risks, uh, for the reward, which which did end up paying out. So, um, what was your evolution from AE to CEO? Well, there, there, it's a little bit of a complicated one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit of a complicated one, but you know, so I, I was moved in more to a VP position. Uh, I was still working on some accounts, but less and less as we were adding people. I wasn't doing so much account work. I was really focused on on selling. I was really getting my craft in terms of, of pitching who we were. Um, and I think a lot of companies want to, they want to buy from one of the owners. And so, you know, having the the clout of, of I'm a partner, um, I'm young, I'm energetic, I'm passionate about what we do. So getting, getting up there in front of that, really telling our story and knowing who we are um, and who we were, I think was really important. Um, but yeah, I was, I was really in, in more of a sales role. But I was, but I was involved with everything. I was involved in hiring. I was involved with, you know, our marketing, our event planning. I was involved on the business of, at that time I was, I knew what we were doing in terms of like revenue and goals and, and, you know, planning, but I wasn't, I wasn't overseeing it. I wasn't managing it yet. I knew of it. And I think that's the important thing. Like in partnership, they always say like, you need to know your numbers. Like mm-hmm. if you listen to like Marcus Lemonis or whatever, they're going to say like, you got to know your numbers. So I knew our numbers, but like, I, I didn't know the ins and outs of what, how those numbers came about. Right. The, the operational side of it. Mm-hmm. But I, so I, I, I knew all of that. Um, in ways I was kind of a general manager too. So mm-hmm. I was really running operations, people process, um, scale, uh, a clients, overseeing client service. I was kind of running it all. I was doing a lot. I was really doing a lot. I for for a couple of years, it was 
it was tough. It was long nights. It was it was stressful. We had some stress in the business in terms of the partners didn't weren't aligning. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the 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 kind of sequence of events happened. The first thing was that the the original founder was ready to retire. Mm-hmm. So he was going to step down, and I had the opportunity to acquire more shares through that. So that really helped boost me in terms of be as a shareholder to acquire more shares. So bought his bought his some of his shares out, and that really moved me into vice president. So I I kind of got to to really be the second hand guy there, um, and then really operated again more as a general manager. I at that point. I, I knew everything about the business. I, I got really deep in because I was invested, right? If I'm owning a good chunk of a business, I need to know what the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. So I did that. Um, again, still very profitable as the years were going on. We always shot for close to 30. Our average to date is 28% profit. Um, you know, So if you don't have goals or percentages that you're shooting for, you need to figure those out, you know, and anything from 20 to the 30% is good people. Yeah. It's yeah. really good. Right. Um, so, you know, there was that. And then the second phase was um, one of my partners actually died. Mm. So he, he died in a tragic accident. And um, that was in 2019 at the end of 2019, uh, like in the fall. And yeah, I I just I won't go into super details, you know, about it because it's just it's tough. Yeah. But the one thing I'll say is like, business doesn't stop when there's death. Like as crazy as that sounds, right? When there's death in business, on zeros and ones and black and white pieces of paper and in a digital world, we don't. It doesn't know that. It, yeah. it doesn't know. It's just going to keep going on. So at that point, I had to make a really really hard choice, and I was debating. I was like. I can just walk away right now. We can fold it. We can, you know, cash out. We can try to move everybody around or reform a new partnership. And without hesitation, um, my, my, my one partner left there and, and then we had somebody else who was really, um, she was really looking to, to get more partnership and, and get it, get into it, um, and really scale. She was like, I'm in and I trust you. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to be CEO. If you guys, if you guys want me to be, and they, they do that. We believe in you. So, you know, two weeks later, you know, I announced to the company that um, the the rest of the leadership team, um, you know, voted me as the CEO and we're going to be, we formed a new partnership, um, changed the way we structured our offering, our our bonus structure, um, the, the, the real um, investment back in the people, because we had, we had an opportunity to kind of quote unquote reset Mm -hmm. and define who we really were and who we wanted to be. And from that moment, I flipped our values. The first thing I worked on was our values. I, I really, I said, the first thing we need to work on is um, putting the people first. We always put the customer first. That was literally our, va- our first core value was put the customer first. I love you customers. We, we do need you, but with also without the people, you're nothing. Right. And, and uh, I just, I just felt that way. I, I said, you know what? I'm just going to focus. I'm. I said before, I'm a relationship guy. I'm all about building relationships and building relationship with my people. And if, if I can focus on that, the rest will take care of itself. Yep. Yep. When I hear all the data, like all the learnings you've had from every position that you've taken up until now, you know, it is a very tragic story to hear 
but it almost feels like you were the best person possibly to take that position because of where you've been and your heart, your head, your skills were all aligned because go back to that, that job we just talked about where you understood how a high functioning agency should work. Well, now you had a chance to actually do that by taking that first, what some people may say is the, the zig versus the zag, which is no, I'm going to focus on my people first. And, and here you are, you know, agencies doing really well. I've met your team, great people. I get it when it comes to being selective and who you bring onto the company because culture is huge. And it's the, probably the number one reason why the clients thank you for what you do is because you've got great people in the, in, in the positions that they're in. Um, so that's, that's, uh, and that's, it's a, it's a great story, great learnings. And I believe that again, you were the, the, the person that was the right person there at, at a horrible time. Uh, Cause you're right. You, know, you had that decision, mm-hmm. you know, go or stay and you're building something great there. So that's, that's, that's great stuff. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. It, it, it I, I love my team, you know, and it's, Steve Jobs once said, you don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. And that's my style is like my, my team knows this. Like I am the CEO type where I am not a micromanager. Mm-hmm. I am not going to know what everything is going on internally and externally. I'm going to stay the hell out of your way. <laughs> I absolutely will. And what's important there is I said early on that I'm going to do that. That doesn't mean that I'm not visible and working because you're not going to see me. You may not see me in the, in, in the office, you're maybe not going to see me on, on Zoom calls. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to prove to you what I'm do, what I'm working on. So every Friday, I did this for over two two and a half years. I produced over 380 videos. I think I counted. Every Friday, I put out what I called my Feel Good Friday, and I had some comedy and I had some fun and <laughs> uh, some theatrics. I incorporated whatever was going on in pop culture at the time and had a lot of fun making videos, especially during the pandemic when you couldn't, you know, be with people. So I was, my production value went really up, but I, I, I talked about the things that I'm working on, the things that I've seen in business, the things that, um, I've seen on, on, you know, praise things that I've seen in terms of, of smart acre growth, uh, both from in, you know, the employees, um, the, the feedback that I received, what's happening from our partnerships that we have with all of our technology partners. And it just allowed me to deliver on a weekly basis a video thoughts that were happening in the world, too. There's, there's always current events that are happening. And, and just share that with everybody. And I just sent that to internally. So yeah. I did that every Friday morning before I did anything else. I worked on that. And that was my delivery. And I... It was to the point where if I was like a little bit late delivering it for yeah. whatever reason, yeah, I'll get messages like, is our feel good Friday coming out? I need to see this. I need it. Um, so, but since then I, I, I did retire that mm-hmm. um, because it, it's, it set its course yeah. um, as we've scaled and in, in different ways of communicating. We, we don't, we didn't need that platform every once in a while. I'll do one just for fun. Um, Nostalgia. Yeah, that, you have to like yeah. as a CEO. The the thing why I'm saying that is is communication and transparency. And I think what anybody will say is when they work at at SmartAcre is that they have a clear understanding as as to what the goals and the vision are, and it's transparent. I always thought I was like, you're going to be a CEO and you're going to be making all these decisions. Why the hell are you going to keep them all secret? <laughs> now I'm not saying like it's share everything, especially sure. if you get into like finances and all of that, but like. If it's going to impact your people, share that. Get their input. 
put it out there. You might get a reaction earlier. It might save you some time, but be transparent and communicate. That's That was the most important thing. I love that because I was, I was thinking as you were saying that that's, that's a transparency, a level of transparency that not many CEOs would do. Heck, not even many leaders of teams would do. Uh, for And the reason they wouldn't do it is probably for all the wrong reasons. But, you know, every CEO will say, well, we have our town hall. That's a chance for me to address the company. Sure. But this, I think, was a testament to what you're looking to do and then the structure you're trying to implement here for the agency. So I'm sure your team appreciated that tremendously. Um, Now, here's a question for you, given everything we've known about your agency career to date. Was there ever a time where you decided or thought about going to the other side, going client side or maybe going non-agency? Um. So it was always, <laughs> let me back up. I never thought I would be in an agency setting. Um, so what, what, when I, when I was deciding to go into to business school, um, there, the, there was kind of two forces. The one was I have a creative background and I enjoyed like producing creative and art. And, um, I just, I just love creating things. And then the second thing was, um, the, the kind of the birth of, of digital, right. That was just happening, being able to do computer graphics and working with a computer like that. That was the reasoning. I, I always wanted to be like an automotive designer. So I, I always kind of envisioned doing, doing something with automotive design. So, um, honestly, no, not, I, I, ha- I, I haven't until I've, I've until recently, um, as I'm in the CEO role and as things are kind of, um, stabilized, mm-hmm. um, and we have a clear path for incremental growth, um, and, and having process and people in place and, you know, having a strong vision for how we're going to, you know, make sure that we're, we're valuable in the market for many years to come. Like now I'm starting to think about what's next. Mm. Um, so I, I'm not thinking about going client side. Um, I never wanted to do that because the one reason why I like being an agency is because I don't get up every day and work for SmartAcre. I get up and work every day for all of our clients. And I could be working on something from a a, ro- a robotic engine to uh, a piece of SaaS software that's helping somebody um, decide to put somebody in 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 hospice. That I know that it's going to ultimately help them to you know you know higher education or or fintech. You know all those different things. So I'm getting yeah. to work on all these different business challenges. And I think that's what kept me in the game so long was I get to work on such cool variety of, uh, of clients. Um, and even in the sales process today, like I'm, I'm, when I'm learning about some of the challenges, some of these businesses are happening with their tech stack or having to scale their marketing or get leads or, um, you know, helping them with the sales process. We're using things like, you know, integrating video into your communications or whatever it might, 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 might be. Those are the things that I really love to do. And I still love to do those things. So I never really, I thought I would get too bored mm-hmm. if I jumped client side. Could I do it? Absolutely. Somebody wants to you know, rent a CMO. I could probably <laughs> do it. I could, I could probably do it, but I don't think I would achieve anything. And that's kind of like the same position I was when I was moving out of project management and trying to go client, going on the, the account side was I needed that kind of change. I needed to challenge myself something differently. So what I can say is, I promise is I'm never going to work for anybody else again. And um, it's going to be absolutely completely different, whatever my next role is in in the future. But I'm not going anywhere. 
Yeah. So if any of my smart acres listen to this, I'm not I'm not going anywhere <laughs> for a while, a long time as a CEO at Smart Acre, and uh, because we're not finished, and in ways I think we're just really you know hitting our stride and getting started. Nice, just pontificating. That's all. That's all. Yeah. Um, so before we take a quick break here, one last question is just if you had to use one word to describe your career to date, what would it be? Wow, that's good. Um, I got. Uh, let me think about that as I'm as I'm. <laughs> Um, it's going to sound really arrogant, but it's like, I think you want me to just like spit it out. Right. And I think it's, it's confident. Yeah. Confident. Um, and, and why I choose that is, um, I don't know where I got it, uh, along the way. I never took like a public speaking or anything like that. Um, but it's like not fake it till you make it, but like having the confidence just to get up. Um, you know, things like dress, dress nice. You don't have to wear the, the most expensive outfit, but dress clean and nice and look somebody in the eye mm-hmm. and shake their hand firmly and follow up and do what you say. That's just going to build your confidence. And my words aren't perfect. I'm not, I'm not the best speaker, but having that confidence is what's been able to get me through each step of the way. And I think that's evident when the stories we heard from every stop is that uh, because you say you're someone who's built in relationships, listen, building relationships isn't easy and it does require you to be confident in many ways, a lot of which you just said there. So great stuff. Um, Listen, a quick summary on your career path. I'll say this, you know, most marketers we talk to enter through a a marketing uh, discipline or skill, right? Paid search, social media, SEO, whatever it is. I love the fact that you represented this, this other path that is, you know, someone who likes relationships, working with people, um, can find ways to be confident. If you're listening out there thinking about a, a role in marketing and you don't like those specific marketing skills, but you do like people, guess what? Here's the path Dave just painted for you that you could follow uh, entering, you know, account management, project management, client services, all very important roles in not just the agency side, but also the technology side. So, Let this be a great roadmap for others to potentially follow. So great stuff, Dave. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Let me ask you a question. What's been the best marketing career advice you've ever received? Now, one of the most common answers we've heard uh, from guests on this podcast and from our community as the answer to that question is, is to get a mentor or to form your own career counsel. Now, Jed and I wanted to do something that would make this reality an opportunity for every marketer. So our current paid monthly membership option, TMH+, offers access to weekly group coaching, mentorship calls, and direct access to mentors via chat. So think of it like your your own emergency line to help handle any challenging marketing career moments that you face. So we're offering a trial access to this TMH Plus uh, membership tier for only $1. $1 to get you a personalized sounding board, advice, guidance uh, that can help you land the higher salary, the promotion, or simply just gain confidence to manage your team or your client more effectively. So $1. If you have $1 and you're ready to start uh, accessing this level of career support for the next month, just go to themarketinghelp.co forward slash plus, enter the promo code listed, and we will message you shortly after you join to start a conversation. So that's themarketinghelp.co forward slash plus. Let's get back to the episode. All right, so Dave, as the CEO of an agency... You know, again, I know the answer will be it depends, but if you can just kind of paint the picture for us in a given quarter, I know every quarter is different, but the three, what are the three most important categories that you're focused on as a CEO of an agency in a given quarter? 
yeah. It, so it well, it it, it shouldn't depend. It, mm. it, if you really boil it down into categories, uh, the first thing has to be is finances. You know, if you're in a CEO role, unless if you have a partner that's a CFO that is doing all of the numbers, which we don't, you know, we, we have outside accounting, we have, we have a controller position internally, uh, numbers absolutely has to, to be a part of it. You know, I, I mentioned early that you really need to understand your numbers and know your numbers, um, you know, be able to understand and, and look at a profit and loss and then forecast against that. Um, you have to know, understand the money that's coming in and going out where you're spending it. So we're always looking at at, at cash flow. Um, we're, we're we're looking ahead as terms of what our what our growth. So when you work in the service world, there's only so much you can produce. Your people are your product, and ours is all you have. So you really have to understand efficiency and and forecasting for where you're going to be spending time because that feeds into how much you can sell. Um, you have to you have to look at churn. So you have to look at your understanding the the life cycle. Thankfully, what we did early on and what I always wanted to do in an agency was to not do project work as much mm-hmm. and focused on manage recurring revenue, MRR, like software companies do. So 80% of our business is on MRR. So that really helps with your cash flow and your forecasting. Um, and it just it it helps stabilize your business. So if you're you're in the agency world and you're thinking about, you know, how how to stabilize my business really start to think about shifting from project work to to recurring uh, revenue uh, that will help uh, how do you do that that's that's more difficult but um so i'm always looking at that and then so everything finances i'm, I'm always looking at um and where we're going to spend and where we're going to invest as well invest back in the business invest uh, in other areas and usually it's it's in our people is where where we're investing um you know the the probably the the second thing absolutely is just the category of people like what are we doing from a from an HR perspective what are we doing from a, a planning perspective you know what are we doing from an ev- from events now that we're all virtual how are we bringing everybody together from from trainings to certifications to retreats to virtual events um, one thing that we we do is we we do offer a a thousand dollar. Basically, it's a self-education stipend. So anybody at SmartAcre can spend a thousand bucks to do whatever they want. They can they can take a certification that costs a lot. They can take an online course. They can go to an event. Um, they can use that money to spend wherever they want to invest back in themselves to further them. Um, so we're always looking at improving um, what we're doing for for our people. Um, looking at the risk there too. You know, so looking at as we're scaling. You know, how how do we how do we you know, scale. So like we, we, you know, we're, we're 25 now. So we have directors, we have senior managers, you know, and then we have, you know, associates. So looking at that structure and how does that changing, making sure that we are serving the marketplace every year, I try to predict what our clients are going to need. And they actually always throw me a 180. So coming into this year, um, was really planning on more, um, so, and it's part of financing people, but you know, the, probably the third bucket would be sales, mm-hmm. you know, so looking at, you know, sales. So I was projecting a lot net new sales, but in actuality, more clients are requesting growth because they can't hire either. So I didn't plan for as much growth within our existing clients as we, as we, we did in the beginning of the year. So we're, we're great now. We're in a good spot. 
but allowing to plan for that growth. Um, and that's through communication is just really understanding, you know, have you ever looked at a client and go, Oh, that person left. You're like, Oh, darn. You know what? I always look at it. It was like, as an agency owner, I look at it as an opportunity. There's two reasons why I look at one. Someone leaves a company. If they're a client, one, follow them wherever they go. Cause they might come back as a boomerang client. We have many of those. And the other thing is, how are you going to support them when that person leaves? Because you know what it takes to, to backfill a position. It could take months. So how can we help them backfill that position with services? So we're, we're, we're looking at you know sales as well. And then um, we establish the last kind of th- kind of like the third thing rounding out because sales is really part of the finance part is just kind of you know intangible goals. It's it's every quarterly um, session that that we have, and as as the three partners, we we meet on a quarterly basis. We used to do like weekly leadership meetings and monthly, me- and like you're not moving, you're not doing anything in business on a weekly or monthly basis. Moving <laughs> like let's get together every quarterly. So that's the first thing I did. Uh, as you know, we meet every qu- we have quarterly offsites, and um, you know we look at we just look at intangible goals, you know things that are gonna you know move the company forward, whether if it's you know services or partnerships that that we're that we're forming, looking at that that's gonna propel us years down the line and work towards those. I love it because what you just described there for anyone listening, and if you're the VP who wants to become. An EVP, a director who wants to become a VP, a manager who wants to become a director. Dave just gave you the three areas that you could focus on and ask questions about and show interest in. Because if the CEO is thinking about them and you're showing a propensity to support those, and not you do your day job, sure, you're contributing to sales, but start asking questions around these three buckets and start offering help in these three buckets. I heard finance and sales, uh, people and goals, intangible goals. So how can you, listening, if you really want to progress in your current role or your current company, how can you get more involved in those three areas? That's a, that's a great insight because I'm sure a lot of people didn't realize that offsites happened or they, if they do happen, what kind of goals you're talking about. Uh, but now, now everyone has a little peek behind the curtain there in terms of how an agency CEO is thinking. Great stuff. Now, you know, sticking with the, the position that you're in, but also tapping into some of the roles we heard that you had before, you had to manage people. So in certain roles, it was your first time managing people. Then your your people responsibilities grew as you, you were uh, going from role to role. But when you think about um, how can we help marketing managers do better? Because we don't want more people leaving bad managers uh, as part of this resignation. So what's your, your, your tip when it comes to marketing? managing marketers that uh, those that are in that position can be doing better. Yeah. I, I, I think well, the one thing that helped me early on was that I, they, I, I understood, I understood them, my air quotes. I understood <laughs> them. So as a project manager, remember if I'm, when I was a project manager, I was a designer and developer first. So first off as, as a, as what maybe to be a pro a strong project manager was I was, able to validate what they were telling me because I knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't bullshit me. They, they couldn't, they couldn't lie. They couldn't, you know, f- flex the hours. I would always challenge them a bit. <laughs> and if I didn't understood that, I would ask them why, or explain to me why this takes this long or explain to me what you're doing right now. And I think as when I was a project manager, that was like the key to my success. I would sit 
I, I saw other project, project managers go, uh, can you give me update status on the development of this page? Okay, uh, I'll check back with you on Friday. What I would do is I would sit down side by side with the developer and be like, can you explain to me where you where where you are in the development of this and explain how you've built this so far so that I can better understand this the next time so that even if I didn't understand how to write all that code I understood what they were building and so I was building my knowledge of of how things worked so to this very day like if you ask me to to really you know you know do anything I I can give you a general idea so that was the first thing um the second thing was just really talking to them so as I was ex- asking them to explain, I would sit that's at their desk or I'll be like, oh, oh, who's that? Who's that picture? Who's that picture of, of somebody there? And I talked about building relationships. You know, I think I'm a pretty likable guy, but I went out of my way to really understand what was going on in people's lives. And I think it's so much more important today to really understand that with which is mental health of what's going on. You don't know what's going on in people's lives, uh, what's going on through through their their day. So uh, don't assume anything. Uh, if somebody's cranky or, or pissed off, you don't you know, you don't if they have a mean look on their face, something might be going on. You don't you don't know what it is. So for me. Um, you know, I, I tried to, to unlock that connection and, and some people you know, put up a wall and that's, mm-hmm. that's okay. And there's different ways you can do that. You can navigate that, try to understand, do they like learning about a new technology? Well, find a common ground and discuss that, have a platform discussing that. And it's about, you know, building relationships, you know, today, you know, jump on a zoom and, and. Uh, I do um, as a CEO now. One of the things that I don't have is is water cooler talk, so I do pop in water cooler zooms. So um, I'll ske- I'll schedule some zooms, and we'll have our, our cup of water or tea or whatever. And I go, oh, what brings you around this water cooler? What's going on? And we'll just talk about whatever comes to our mind. It could be about business, it could be about soccer, it could be about what's happening in in the world, whatever. And I think you just have to go out of your way to extend those relationships because you're working with your peers more than your family in a given week and you need to know what's going on mm-hmm. you need to understand what makes them tick what makes them um you know really work i one other quick one other quick thing that i that i that the one of the most difficult things was i managed um a team of developers uh, there was like 12 I was managing 12 developers and they were, we were doing an agile project. So we were really deadline driven on these, these number of sprints. Like there was very little room mm-hmm. for, for time, for, for, for gap. And like we had just enough time to get these sprints done. And we had a little bit of a language barrier, but the one thing they never wanted to do was like leave their desks and they were getting burnt out. They were spending like more than eight hours. Some of them were, were literally dancing in their chairs I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, they didn't take a bathroom break. They wouldn't leave because they were motivated by getting it done because the, they were contracted so that they would get paid because they right. want to fulfill for their family. Um, so that we, we knew that kind of things were motivated by, by money. And the other thing that, that we learned was they really like to eat. They really like to eat. So we took them out. We, we, we had to like force. I remember it was me and another account exec. We were unplugging their monitors to make them stop. That was the only way they would stop. And we took them out. We took them off site in the middle of the project to, to a restaurant and they had a feast and they came back 
and they were different people. But we wouldn't have known that until we started to have conversations and to really understood what their motivation was um, in in business. Nice. Uh, that, that's a, a, a couple of takeaways there is that um, listening, actually listening first, being empathetic, uh, finding the common ground when, when, again, managers is not an easy position. And oftentimes we have to catch ourselves from making assumptions and find the common ground to open up a conversation. Because, you, you know, and, and I've seen this, too, is you, once you get someone talking about the thing, whatever that is, it, it, it's, a, it's an entryway into really trying to understand first what the issues are and how you can help. Uh, so it's so a great, great management advice there. Now, the other thing I'll talk about, just giving your experience, because, again, trying to tap into how, how can we get, you know, all your years of experience into valuable takeaways for our audience. And I think the other thing that comes to mind is uh, interviewing, right? So you've hired a ton of people. I know you have a, a philosophy on that, which we'll get into in a second. But when you think about interviewing, um, tell me what the do's and don'ts are for, for marketing roles. Because me personally, I, I say it all the time, I believe marketing positions are different than any other position out there for various reasons. But from your experience, what, what are the do's and don'ts when it comes to interviewing for a role? I, I, they may be obvious, but like for, for me, from, from my viewpoint right now is you, you got to do your homework. Number one, you got to do homework on your comp on the company that you're applying for, the people that you're going to be interviewing with. You got to take interest and you, you got to look for some words that, that, that are being used by that company and, and, and really understand it. And if you don't understand it, make sure that you ask those questions during the interview. Like, hey, I was on your site. I, I know a little bit about inbound marketing, but you know, I'm just getting into it. I, I'm working on getting my certification. Hear what I'm doing? I'm dropping that. I'm showing progress. I'm showing that I, that, I, that I'm interested in it, and I'm taking action on my own. So, like as a as a, as a potential you know candidate, that that's attractive to me. But you know, like ask them. Be like, I would love to get your your take on what does that mean to you, and how how what percentage of your business are you are you doing inbound marketing services for? It's just show interest. Um, and do your homework. I, I would say don't, don't do a canned batch and blast, like the same cover letter, the same, even the same resume, um, every single time, but because it could be totally different. Um, I, I remember I've had like, when I was applying back then, I, I would have like three different cover letters and three different resumes. And one was more of a visual cover letter, a visual um, resume. The other one was more, you know, standard. So really understand what that is. Um, and the other thing is look at what they're, they're how you're applying online. You know, what are the required fields? You know, we require things like a link to a portfolio if it's a, if it's a creative position. We require your LinkedIn profile. So make sure your LinkedIn profiles is brushed up and it's where it should be. Um, because if you stand out, we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna screen we're gonna do our homework on you first before we even respond. You know we're gonna look at we're gonna look at those type of things, and they need to be they need to be sharp. Um, let's see what else. Um, I think it's like clear expectations, right? Like what what are you looking to to get out of it? I would appreciate you know what coming into it like these are my goals. Like this is where I am in my career. This is what I'm applying for and this is where I'm looking to go and grow. Um I think every company is looking for 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 that right now is like hiring somebody that they can invest long term, mm -hmm. not just the position that they're they're applying for. So those are some of the things right off the top of my head. 
and, and all great advice too, because um, too often, again, we represent the side that that sees and has seen this countless times. And gosh, it just seems so easy to do a little bit of work to to make a huge impact in in standing out, assuming that you want the job. Right? That's the question I always ask myself: is why would somebody not prepare effectively if they claim that they want this job? Because um, then you see the candidate that actually does want the job, and it's a it's night and day. Now you've got a quick story in terms of how you secured your role at Smart Acre. I'd love to hear you know share that with our audience in terms of what you created to stand out to get noticed, to get your interview, uh, your first introduction to Smart Acre. Yeah. So the first thing was, it was very honest in the cover letter and it was directed to them. It wasn't high insert company name, blah, 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 blah. And just a block of just standard text. I, I really wrote it to them. Um, you know, I was first direct and honest about saying like, I am applying for this position, but I know I am more. I am looking for a partnership. I am looking to grow. I know I'm more than this. And here's why. These are the skills that I'm looking to bring your company that I think you might have a gap in. So I was very honest and forthcoming in the, in the cover letter. The other thing was knowing that, they, they, again, my audience, that they were an interactive agency rather than sending a, a paper resume, I sent them a web page and it was a full infographic style uh, about me, about my professional career, everything that was on my resume already, just visualized through charts, through graphs, um, through an infographic. Then it told my story uh, as well as personal, personal things like, you know, how many miles I've driven in the last five years and how many cars that I've owned that there were all black, the color black, you know, and, you know, just put those in there so that it gave them a glimpse of the personality of who I was as well. And it stood out, you know, some of the things that I've, I've received recently were, were videos. Mm-hmm. I've gotten video introductions about who I am about, Hey, this is me. Or they have a, a full website. I mean, that's, that's easy. That's easy to do. Make a whole website. It could be two pages. Just make it a website about you. There's pictures. It's about me, about your professional career. Um, give them more information because if you're just going to give me a cover letter and resume, I'm going to make up my own interpretation of do you fit the skills or not? And for us, we're not, we're not hiring on skill. We assume you have the skills to fulfill that position. What we're hiring for is those intangibles, those intangibles of the, how are you going to impact our culture? What type of person you are? What type of activities do you like? You know, how, how, what, how are you affecting change? All of those different things, right? That's what we're looking for. We're looking for, for, for those first. And you can't, you can't share that in just uh, a resume and in a cover letter. That's a great perspective because I think a lot of people feel like, oh, no, this is all I need to do. Uh, and they feel like just checking those boxes is enough to cross their fingers and say, OK, I hope they pick me. When all those examples you just gave that are, you know, two, three, four other things that are, quite frankly, an hour's worth, a couple hours worth of work that will give you the confidence boost of getting the callback or getting um, definitely getting the attention of the hiring manager. So. All good stuff here. Now, as we wrap up here, uh, I know, Dave, we talked about your, when it comes to hiring, you know, at this stage, I'd like to ask our guests if their companies are hiring and, you know, who they're looking for. And, you know, obviously we have a lot of marketers listening to this, to this podcast, but you've had an interesting perspective on your hiring approach now. So talk a little bit about that with SmartAcre. And it was in a LinkedIn post, if anyone follows you on LinkedIn, but tell more about your hiring approach right now. 
So right now we have no open positions. We have we have none. So if you go to getsmartacre.com, you go to careers, um, there's no open positions. Um on purpose. Because, on, on purpose. Pur- yeah, yeah, on on purpose. Um uh, partly because it's it's twofold. Um one we 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 fulfilled them all. Like we went out there in the last uh 8 months and we hired six people. So we we filled all those positions. We 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 got them all checked off. So you know, accomplished. So most companies will be like, "Well, that's silly." You know, you always got to be have a bench. You always got to have a bench of people. And what we found was the bench is not accurate. It's not good. Like we went back, we went back to the bench of people that were in, cause we would get hundreds of resumes for a position, uh, you know, on a given week, probably, you know, a couple a day for sure. Um, on just one position. So the bench wasn't accurate. It was a waste of time. It wasn't, it wasn't valuable because like, you're going to, you're going to collect resumes for potentials that you're not really hiring for. And, and what you're going to call on them in six months if they don't have a job in six months, there's something wrong there. So the the good people all have jobs. That's, that's basically why I always say the good people already have jobs. So, so we fulfilled it. Um, but we're, we're also the, the other, the other kind of the real big, big reason of is we could just keep adding, adding and growing that way. Instead, what we're doing is we're investing growth in our, our, our existing people, um, the, the existing smart acres that we have, because growing doesn't necessarily mean just adding headcount um, because that adds expense and everything else that goes with it. So what we're doing is really because we've added six people. And if you know percentages of math and you add six people and you're 25, that's a lot. That's a, that's a lot, large, large uh, growth. And the, 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 our, the, their new smart acres, they haven't had an opportunity to work together. They haven't had an opportunity to get to know each other. Those things that I was saying earlier is like getting to know who they are, their personality types, how do they best work together, our internal processes, getting up to speed. And we usually see it takes about 90 days. We have, a, we have a, 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 an onboarding process that we go through that usually takes about 90 days to really get up to speed, to really understand and have a vision of what the heck is smart acre do and how do they function. So we wanted to give that, we wanted to give the second half of the year for everybody to get up to speed and to really work together. And then I, as a CEO, I wanted to see what we could do with 25 people. I really wanted to see what type of damage we could do with having, you know, smart, trained, certified, experienced marketer, marketing and technology people run and, and, and do some serious damage. And I wanted to see that. So then from there, I can say, all right we can scale up to this or we're going to invest in these areas or we're going to double down in these areas. This looks like what the market is demanding when, you know, this year we weren't planning for, we were planning for 5% growth within existing accounts, but it turns out it's 17%. We need to, we need to scale up those teams uh, or we need to add another pod structure of, of, of account teams. So it just, it allows you to be calculated. And why I'm doing that is because I've, I failed in the past doing that. Like as when I was in the VP position, we tried to just open up a, a second location too quickly and growing too quickly. If you don't got your, your process and your people things fixed, you're just going to magnify those problems. And that's what we did. Um, and I'm not saying that we have those problems, we just need to mature. And then he's in next couple of months. So that's why we're doing it. I love the approach because in, in essence, the analogy I'm drawing in my head is that you're, you've, you've taken the time to basically build a select team. It's an all-star team of candidates in the right people in the right roles. And you're going to let them cook. 
and you let them simmer together and really play off each other and learn the the, the pros and cons and working as, as a, a true you know team high functioning team. And then you'll be able to identify where there actually is a need, uh, or you can replicate patterns that you see that are working. And okay, we just need to hire three, hire three more people that are functioning like this. Uh, hire people that that can do these through things together in, a, in whatever the pot is or, or what have you. So I can appreciate that. And I think back to my career in hiring, and boy, I wish I would have tried that. But um, you know, it wasn't my call at the time. But it just makes so much sense on paper. Just let a team really develop on purpose and therefore your goals and, and performance is going to be tied to that or, or ex- the expectations are going to be tied to what you have. But yes, you, you know that, you know, be better to predict, okay, now if I do this, then this will happen. Good stuff. Yeah. Sometimes you have to take, take a step back to take two steps forward. And, um, I just, I just really think that, um, you're going to thank yourself in the long, long run. If you, if, if you, if you do that, because it, it just, it, it, I'm telling you, it's going to magnify your problems. And if you, if you want to challenge me on it and you're going to say, Dave, well, you're, you're missing out on, on future sales because I have to say no, yeah, because I, I have room for like two new clients for the rest of the year. And I have like, I can do like one now and like one in December. And that doesn't give me a lot of new net new sales growth, but that's okay because I'm, starting with the end in mind and I'm planning for that outcome. And as long as you're alignment with your partners, again, good communication with your partners, be aligned on the same type of goals. That's okay. Because what we'll do is instead of trying to stretch and meet that goal for this year with, with adding on a couple more people next year, we'll be able to even exceed that. Yep. Yep. That'll be exciting. So listen, I've, I've worked in all kinds of agencies. I've even, you know, been part of starting agency. I've worked for huge agencies, midsize, but you name it. You got something special cooking here at Smart Acre. Just in the approach and the way you're doing it. And gosh, it almost feels like it's a it's a refreshed view on how things should be done. But again, you know, kudos to you for taking advantage of this opportunity and turning this Smart Acre, the Smart Acre brand into something that is, uh, I would have to imagine, a destination place, a destination employer for anybody looking to get a stab uh, into an experience with a, with an agency. So, uh, where's the best place Dave for everyone to connect with you? If they want to maybe pick your brain a little bit more, learn more about smart acre, uh, where, where should they be connected with you? Absolutely. So from the smart acre perspective, anything on social at, at get smart acre and get and then me per- personally, um, uh, LinkedIn is great for me personally, um, at David B. Snyder. And then I have a podcast as well, the the Agency Balance. So uh, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, if you just search for Agency Balance, uh, should come right up or um, at agencybalance.com. Perfect. And I'll include links to all those things in the show notes because it's a lot of great information to definitely check out. So so Dave, I want to appreciate, appreciate you joining and, and sharing your thoughts and your tremendous experience here in, in getting from where you were to building such a great company in SmartAcre. And uh, wish you the best of luck with all things at SmartAcre. And uh, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right. A big thanks to Dave for joining me on this episode. Now, check out the show notes for the many links that Dave provided, uh, ways to connect with him. Definitely check out SmartAcre. Definitely check out his podcast, Agency Balance. All good stuff there. And feel free to mention the Marketing Careers podcast when messaging Dave. Now, if you want personalized guidance from myself or other marketing mentors for just a dollar, check out the marketinghelp.co forward slash plus. Enter the promo code. Let's start a conversation. Now, this is your host, Eric Harbison, and I will catch you on the next episode.